Good morning. We are in the midst of a series, Understanding the Bible, not as a bunch of little individual stories, but one continuous story of God and people, who God is, how he created this world to work, how he created us, and how he still relates and is at work in our lives today. And so um, we started back in October in Genesis, and now we're to Judges. So if you'll grab a Bible and please open it up to Judges. If you grab a Bible out of the basket, it's going to be marked with a little post-it note for you. But Judges chapter 2. And I'm going to give you a little background while you're flipping there. At the very beginning of the Bible, the opening lines, the earth exists, but it is formless and void. It's dark. It's chaotic. There's no life there. And God speaks. And his word goes out and transforms the dark chaos into order Light and life. And that is a main theme throughout the entire Bible. That God's word, which we believe the Bible is God's recorded word. That God's word, when it goes out, it transforms chaos and darkness into order, light, and life. And this is all throughout the Bible, but one of my favorite verses that summarizes this is Jeremiah 29, 11. It talks about how God's intentions for you are good. They are very good. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jesus, the word of God, says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life. And have it abundantly. And and Jesus is really honing in on a tension we feel as humans. We feel, ever since Adam and Eve, we feel this tension that if we listen to God's word and we obey what he wants us to do, that somehow he's going to like steal our freedom and our fun. And, and Jesus is saying, no, the one who is tempting you to believe that he is the thief who's trying to rob you of the abundant life I want to give you. You see, life, it comes from God. He's the source of it. And he's not just the source of life. He's the source of love. He's the source of everything good. James 1.17 says this. Every, not some, but every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. And and James is kind of honing in on a metaphor here that God is like the sun. The sun always shines and always gives its warmth and goodness. And when we don't see the sun shining, it's not because the sun has stopped shining and changed. It's because we've shifted away from it. And we don't, when we are not sensing God's goodness in our life, it's not because He's not still wanting to give us all the good things He has intended for us, it's because we've shifted away from Him. And in the Bible, we see this cycle where people say, you know, oh yes, we'll worship God. And, 
And as they're worshiping God, they're getting every good and perfect gift that he wants to give them. But as things get good, we begin to feel like we don't really need God anymore. And so we shift away. And as we shift away, we descend back into chaos. Our lives do. And it doesn't happen immediately. It's a slow descent. Like Adam and Eve. When they thought maybe God was holding out on them and they really wanted to taste that knowledge of evil, (laughs) as we often get tempted to do, right? They didn't instantly die, but they did instantly feel body shame. They felt shame about their sexual identities. They began to feel a division in their marriage and began to blame shift. They felt separated from God. And then the death really started to hit and the chaos really started to hit in the next generation when their son Cain murdered their son Abel. The descent back into chaos and darkness occurs over time. But it does occur. And in the Bible we see a cycle where people start to worship God but then when they get comfortable they turn away. And we have a graph of this cycle, like a picture And as they turn away into sin, into their own way of living, the next step is the unblessing, where they're no longer receiving the protection and the miraculous provision of God. And that leads to some kind of crisis in our lives. And then when we're in crisis, what happens? We're like, God, help us! And so then God raises up a deliverer, and then things get better. And when we're in peace, then what happens? We start the cycle back over again. And we see this um, with the Israelites. Um, The book of Joshua tells us that when they were in Egypt, they worshipped the gods of the Egyptians. So they're living peacefully. They move to Egypt. They worship the gods of Egyptians. And then what happens? They become slaves to who? The Egyptians. And this is a pattern all throughout scripture that whatever you worship, you become slave to. Whatever takes the place of God in your life, you become a slave to. And so then they're oppressed by the Egyptians. They cry out. God has mercy and raises up who? Moses. And Moses comes and delivers them. They move to Canaan where they're living in peace. And that's where the book of Judges picks up. And in the book of Judges, they're going to go through this cycle 12 times. That literally is the book of Judges over and over and over again. And Judges chapter 2 is a summary statement of it. So we're going to read Judges chapter 2 right now. If you look at Judges chapter 2, you'll see a heading called Disobedience and Defeat. I'm going to start reading right after that. Verse 6. So after Joshua, which Joshua was the leader who followed Moses, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and all the elders who outlived him and who had seen great things the Lord had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. 
And they buried him in the land of his inheritance, in timnath in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaish. After that whole generation, Joshua and his whole generation, after they had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done in Israel. This is one of the most tragic verses in all scripture. You see, Joshua and his generation, they were kids when God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and they passed through the Red Sea and got, saw all those miracles of God, they knew God. And so they worshipped Him. But then their kids grew up, you know, in peace and just weren't as vigilant about passing down those stories. So a couple generations goes by and by the time Joshua dies, the next generation of adults, they know nothing about God. They know nothing about how he saved them. And the book of Judges is all about generational cycles. And how they get started and how destructive generational cycles get ended. Verse 10 again. After the whole generation had been gathered to the ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Let me just explain who Baal and Ashtoreth were. Um, they were the gods of the Canaanites in Mesopotamia. Astoreth um, was a female goddess, and her worship was a fertility cult. So um, her worship required that young virgins would go and sacrifice their chastity to her and serve as temple prostitutes. And then, of course, that led to them getting pregnant, right? And so her brother, Baal, his worship required child sacrifice. And and in ancient Mesopotamia, the worship of the goddess, the fertility cult, was almost always linked to the worship of a male god who required child sacrifice. And God hated this. He hated it. But for the Israelites, if you worship a God who says, you know, you're supposed to wait until you get married to have sex and then love and be faithful to your spouse the rest of your life, and all your buddies are going to the temple to get drunk and have sex, there's a certain allure to that. And so the Israelites kept being drawn into this worship. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal and the Asterisks. Verse 14. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He no longer protected them. He wasn't going to bless them when they were living that way. He sold them into the hands of the enemies all around them who they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel would go out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them, and they were in great distress. And so the Lord has mercy. 
Then the Lord raised up judges. Now, the judges weren't like our judges today. They were more like lone sheriffs, okay, who'd go out and fight raiders. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from their ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's command. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies for as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt. Do you see, it's not just a one-time circle. It's a circle that goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And spirals more and more chaos and darkness. They returned to ways even more corrupt than their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. And the point of the book of Judges, why we see this cycle repeated seven times. The first time they fall into this, God's going to raise up a guy named Othanel, and then they're going to go through, and then it's going to be Ehud, and then Shamgar, and then again, and it's going to be the Lady Deborah, and then after that, Gideon, and it just keeps going and going and going, and the last guy is Samson. And then after Samson, the, war, the nation is in such chaos, civil war breaks out. And the reason why God shows us this cycle 12 times in the book of Judges is to emphasize to us that we all go through this cycle. It wasn't just the Israelites. We all do this. And some of us go through this cycle in our own life again and again and again. Some of us, we go through this cycle in our families and generations. Let me show you what that looks like. So the first generation, like Joshua's generation, they know the Lord. They know what God has done. God has rescued them, right? They have a personal relationship to the Lord. So they are very devout at obeying God's word, learning God's word, and building their lives on God's word. And as they do, God blesses them and he gives them peace. That's one of the first blessings. And joy. And as they continue to build their lives on God's word and learn about his rules for how to manage their money and their time, God multiplies their resources. And they get are financially blessed. And they learn about how God says that they're to build their families and resolve conflict and all of this stuff. And they have these good families. And it just looks like this. Like it is a good, stable blessing in life. And sometimes their kids will continue to build like this. But sometimes kids who grew up in this just think this naturally happens. Like, this is just normal and natural. And so, while they're not as, they don't abandon the Lord, they're not as vigilant about following the Lord. I'm going to bring my notes over here. And so when they build their families, it looks something like this. It looks like, well, you know, we're going to go to church 
That's important. We need to learn about the Lord. But, um, you know, I love sports. Sports was one of those good blessings that God gave us. And so I want my kids to be in sports, but, oh, shoot, soccer practices on Sundays. Okay, well, you know, if my kids aren't in church for three months, it's not a big deal. We'll just make up with it with devotions in the car. And we'll come back to church in the off-season, which is also marching band season. But that's okay, you know? And let's see. Disney World. we got to go to Disney World as a family. But we can't afford it. So we'll just work overtime on the weekends for... You know, a couple months, it's not a big deal. And, um, yeah, it'll be good. And it is pretty good. I mean, this is a pretty good life. Right? Christ, there's good family memories here. Crisis hits and, you know, it doesn't fall apart. But there's also... A lot of stress and anxiety here and running all around, right? There's probably a good amount of debt. And, and mom and dad are so exhausted they haven't been intimate in five months. But shh, we don't talk about that. It's not a bad life, but it's not the abundant life that Jesus Christ has promised you. You see, this life over here is not natural. It does not naturally happen for a husband and wife to stay passionately in love till their dying days. It does not naturally happen. And, and for a family to be filled with joy and peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't even make sense why they have peace because they're being hit with all of these problems, but they got peace anyways. And you go to their homes and their kids love each other and actually enjoy being together. You know, that is not natural. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. That kind of family only exists because it is rooted in God. The source of all goodness. And what this family over here understands, they have studied God's word, so they know God's rules about how to unlock God's miraculous provision. So over here, the way of the world, if you work seven days a week, you're obviously going to have more money than those who don't. Unless you understand God's rules say that it, he gave you six days to work and one day to rest. And if you do that, it unlocks his miraculous provision in your life. Eric's father was a wonderful example of this. Farmer. And he followed God's word. And so many Sundays, he would be driving home from church. And he would see his fellow farmers out in the field harvesting crops because it was going to rain. And Keith just always said, he's like, you know what? God created the plants. And he knows how they best grow. And if he tells me I'm to work six days and rest on the seventh so I can be with my family and worship the Lord, then that's what I'm going to do. And so in a culture that says farmers can't do that, he did that. And some years there was abundant harvest. And some years it was lean. But God always provided. Always. 
And now that Keith is in heaven, God is still providing for his widow. Barb, Eric's mom, lacks for nothing. She is remodeling her house, buying new furniture. Last year, she took all her kids and grandkids, all 19 of us, to Disney World. (laughs) On Grandma's dime. Bought with the money that Keith earned as a small-town farmer working six days and taking Sabbath every Sunday. When you understand God's commands and you build your life on that, he supernaturally provides. Proverbs 37.5, I believe it is, if I can find it in my notes. But it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is a supernaturally built family. And this is a family that is still following some of God's rules, but honestly, the first rules that usually get thrown out are God's commands about time management and money management. And instead of trusting God to provide these blessings, they think they have to work for them. Do you you understand the difference? And so there's more stress involved here. Now, and then what happens in the next generation? Okay? What they learn is that if God is, you know, optional for soccer practice, then God is always optional. And so they build their lives like this. And yes, they will come to church on Easter and Christmas and a few other times. Right? But this is pretty much how they build their lives. Just going after the things of this world. And it looks pretty good. Not that stable. And then their kids grow up and their kids have no clue about God. No clue whatever. They don't even have a basic Judeo-Christian ethic anymore. And so they are building their lives... Based on what they see on TikTok. You laugh, but this is true. It is absolutely true. And it looks shiny and fun and, you know, good. Right? Way more exciting looking than that. But when the storms of life come, and they always come, what happens? It starts to crumble. That's just a little bump. You know, it just, it's not stable. And that's what happens in the book of Judges with each generation. And it ends with everybody building their lives like this. And the last sentence of the book of Judges, we have it on the screen. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone just did whatever the heck they wanted. And it was chaos and it was a mess. You see, the whole point of the book of Judges is that we don't just need a deliverer who comes and fixes our immediate mess. We need a king who comes and rules in our hearts, helping us to love what is good. That's the point of Judges. And thankfully, the book of Judges, it may end on that note, but the Bible does not end on that note. 
Because after years of sending flawed human deliverers, God eventually sent himself. And he came humbly as a little baby born in a manger. Right? But Jesus Christ, he conquered sin and death for us so that the gap between God and man could be bridged. And God's Holy Spirit can come and live in us and rule in us and change our desires to what is good and leads to joy and peace and strong and a new family legacy. My friends, we are all somewhere on the cycle. All of us are. For me, this was my grandparents' generation. I told you about my family story back in November. I think it was like November 10th, right? And and how my grandparents did not know the Lord, and so they sought wisdom from the spirits of the dead. And um, their generation was full of alcoholism, drug addiction, homelessness, freak accident, death, um, rapes, and multiple murders. That was my grandparents' generation. But then God rescued them. And my grandma came to know the Lord, and most of her children did. And they started, because they realized how good God was, and they knew firsthand what happens when God's not the foundation of your life. They started building like this and pouring God's word into their lives. And my dad especially did, and so did my mom. My mom also came from a child of horrific sexual abuse. And they started pouring God's word into their lives and building like this. Now, did my parents build perfectly? No. No one ever does. But it is a good home that I grew up in. And it was a good family. And my parents are still in love with each other to this day. I have no idea where I am in my notes. Um, thank you. It's a good idea. Okay. Some of you grew up in homes that claimed to be this. But really, it was just this outward show of being all into God. And inside, there's all this defun- dysfunction. Right? And so now, as an adult, you have a choice to make. You can... Just be satisfied with an outward show of religion. Or you can throw out religion altogether because you grew up in the hypocrisy of it. Or you can let God be your king. And you can listen to your king's word and start letting his word flow into your life and cleaning house. And washing out the dysfunction and replacing it with his order, light, and life. Some of you, you, you've been building your lives like this. And and if you've been building your life like this, I just want to say, um, you don't have to do everything the world tells you you have to do to succeed in life. And be happy. You don't, your kids don't have to do everything people think they have to do to succeed and be happy. 
I remember as a mom of kids, you know, about this big, people telling me, if your kids don't start in sports, they'll never make the high school team. And I had other moms telling me, you know, if boys don't play sports, they can't make friends. And so I had all this, like, pressure, you know, to get my kids in all of these different things. And, you know, it's just... And finally, I got to the point where I'm like, this is ridiculous. God doesn't want me running around like this, exhausting myself, living under all this anxiety that if my kids don't have this experience, you know, it's going to damage their future. And, And I remembered myself. I I went to college, thank you very much, on an athletic scholarship for tennis. I never picked up a tennis racket until I was in high school. And when I got to college, everyone I played against had been having private lessons in a private club since they were this big. And my tennis college career record was awful. <laughs> like, would, it, would have my record been better if I had gotten those private lessons? Yes, it would have. Does that have any impact on my success and happiness today? Not at all. Not in the littlest bit. And when I realized that, it was like, why am I stressing myself out about all of this stuff? So you fast forward a few years. Turns out my son doesn't even like sports. He likes robotics. And um, when he was helping me prep for this sermon and reading through it, he's like, you know, Mom, when I was in all those sports, I had less friends than I do now. (laughs) That's what he told me. So anyways, last year, the robotics team decided to start having Sunday morning practices. And so I asked Ty, I said, Ty, what do you want to do? Because I'm at this point where I'm trying to let them make their own decisions and see if they've learned what I hope they've learned. And right away, without me having to prompt him, Ty's like, well, I'm not missing church. I'm not, I'm not missing church for the next however many months. You know, I'm not going to do that. And so I emailed his coach. And they not only let Titus continue on the team, but they picked him to be the driver for their robot. And last year he got to drive their robot in the state competition. My My point is this. It doesn't always work out that way, but my point is this. When you are a child of God, you don't have to follow the world's rules about how to chase after happiness and success. You follow the Lord's rules about how to unlock his miraculous provision, giving you happiness and success. Do you understand that? Now, if you've been building over here, And you realize your life is not as stable as it should be. You can come to church and cry out, God, get me out of this mess. And he will be your deliverer because he loves you and he has mercy on you. And the immediate crisis will pass. But if all you do is ask God to be your deliverer, you're going to go right back into that cycle again. It's just, and it might be like three or five years from now, but the next storm is going to hit and you're going to be back in church saying, God, rescue me. The point of judges is that we don't just ask God to be our deliverer. We ask him to be our king. 
And we say, God, rescue me from this crisis, but also come and live inside me. I give you my life. Rule in me. You see, guys, my life looks like this. If you go home with my family, my kids are just as fun and giggly with each other there as they are here, as they are at school. And the reason my life looks like this is not because I have great willpower to make good decisions. I don't. The reason my life looks like this is because I'm not the one building it. God is. Years ago, I gave him control. And many times since, I've had to keep giving him control. And he's building this in my life. And I hope my children will make the same choice and let him build this in their life too. But if you've only ever asked God to be your deliverer, Today, ask him to be your king. And if you've reclaimed some of your life from God and been turning away, ask him to be your king again. Because it's not just a one-time decision. It's a decision we have to keep making over and over and over again. God, be my king. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me how to live in the way that is good and right. And his spirit will empower you and give you wisdom and also the desire to make the good choices that lead to the good and abundant life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us even when we are stupid and hard-headed and turn away from you. And while you do get angry and you do let us reap what we sow, you are also always willing to come and rescue us. And so, God, I pray for those who need rescuing today, that you would be their strong and mighty deliverer. We have some people who are in the midst of financial crisis, some who are in the midst of a health crisis, some that are in the midst of a family crisis, um, God, whatever it is, be their strong and mighty deliverer. But God, we open our lives to you, not just to wipe away the mess that we're currently in, but to come inside of us and rule. Jesus Christ, come and live in us and rule. And fill us with your spirit with your wisdom, with your goodness, gentleness, patience, self-control, faithfulness, joy, and your love. All of those things, God, build that in our lives. And when we are tempted to live as the world does, draw us back to you. So that our lives and the lives of our children and grandchildren to a thousand generations may be built on the rock. Jesus Christ, the word of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.